Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Hey guys, and welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. And today we're going to be talking about overcoming our anxiety as a new EMDR therapist. Um, And just before we get started, we do want to acknowledge that both Jen and I are slightly under the weather. So we apologize for any uh, scratchy voices and muffled coughs that you might experience as you're listening to this. We'll do our best to edit that out. But sometimes it's not possible to uh, get rid of all of it. So um, thanks for being with us today. So the way that we want to start is by kind of sharing what our experience was as we first started out as brand new EMDR therapists. We've um, back when we got trained and in, in, in some training still, you do it in two different weekends. And so mm-hmm. um, at least for me, I left my first weekend having a basic understanding of the f- basic protocol and was sent back to practice on my clients. <laughs> Terrifying. Was, <laughs> terrifying. It really, really was terrifying. Um, also kind of exhilarating. I think that uh, I fell on the end of the spectrum of I'm just going to plow through my nerves and do this no matter what. I'm going to go for it and it's going to be great. Um, and it was mostly great. And we're going to talk about the parts that weren't so great and what I learned. Um, but Jen, what was your experience? Just kind of what was your attitude coming out of that first weekend of training? Pretty similar to you. Just I'm just in general like a take charge, let's Mm -hmm. plow forward kind of person, but a lot of nerves about it and Mm -hmm. not not as much about the process itself because it was really clearly laid out. I knew exactly what to do, but more of like, how am I going to look doing this? Mm -hmm. So I was a newer therapist in general. Like I had only been practicing for a couple of years, so I don't know that I even had a lot of confidence in myself just as a therapist. Excuse me. So with that, um, I had a lot to overcome just with the clients I was working with. I felt like I had a, to prove myself and establish myself as a professional. I was very young in the field. And so I would get a lot of comments of like, are you even old enough to be doing this job? And <laughs> so I felt like I had that to overcome. And uh-huh. then bringing in this really foreign concept of what therapy is right. that sounded completely different. It was scary. Mm-hmm. It was really scary. And so just that fear of what's this going to look like? Are people going to trust me? Are they going to think, I'm? do I look stupid doing this? Mm-hmm. Um a lot of nerves about that, but I pushed through it and we got to the other side and have developed a lot of confidence and a reputation for using EMDR, but it wasn't an easy journey. No, no, it wasn't for me either. I was working at an agency, actually we were working at the same agency, just in different parts of it uh, when we got trained. And I was also really new, really young, and my entire caseload was men that were in Mm. a treatment court for felony level DWIs. And so I had a really tough audience starting out. Um, And I will say, so that kind of brings us to our first point about ways that we can begin to overcome this. And this was hands down the best advice that somebody gave me that I feel like um, really helped me work through the the initial wave of nerves that I think we're all going to have. And that's to practice on not your clients starting out. Um, Of course, we're going to start with our clients, but because of the need for careful preparation and pacing it appropriately, uh, we don't always get into reprocessing right away. 
at least we shouldn't be getting into reprocessing, you know, right away when we're brand new. And so for me, I went home and practiced on just about anybody that would let me. Um, and looking back on that, I'm not sure how wise it was to practice on all the people that I did. Um, so that's something that I want to talk about. Who is appropriate to practice mm-hmm. on? Um, and, you know, how do we how do we do that well? Um, and I, I know for me, the ones that were the most beneficial are people that knew me really well and could give me feedback um, about what that experience was like for them. But also people that were naturally really well resourced. So, you know, kind of jumping into a target um, was not detrimental to them in any way. So did you do any of that? I did. And I'll say for anyone who's newer to the EMDR world or has been really um, a lot of experience in just regular therapy, mm-hmm. this concept sounds so bizarre. It does. It did to me. Yeah. And yeah. I remember being like, what? That violates all of my ethical right. guidelines. I'm not <laughs> supposed to do that. <laughs> right. I will go to therapist jail. <laughs> yes. Being terrified uh-huh. at that idea. And I think there there are a lot of cautions we have to consider around it, and there's a way to do it ethically mm-hmm. um, and with the best interest of the person that we're practicing with. But it is possible, and there's a it's a lot more um, fluid and I guess kind of forgiving than maybe other types of therapy. Mm-hmm. And so I think it can work well with EMDR and and getting confident, especially in some of the early phases, such as, like, let's just explain what EMDR is to other people. And that helps us to understand it even better and to Mm -hmm. feel more confident as we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Being able to do some of those resources, those positive resources Mm -hmm. and preparation. anybody could benefit from. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And and with that, you're not having to, a client's not necessarily divulging their most traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. and going into that place with you when maybe you're a friend or a family member and it could change your relationship That's right. or open up material that you don't have the opportunity to address all of it mm-hmm. when you're just practicing for a session. Yeah. Choosing targets that aren't their most traumatic experiences. Yes. Minor events. Um, so there's a lot of things mm-hmm. to consider in doing that, but it was absolutely a beneficial tool. Um, my husband, I practiced it with him yeah, a lot, like every new technique that I learned. And he benefited greatly from Mm -hmm. it and still talks about it to this day of Mm -hmm. like being something that was transformational for him. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of it, it was transformational for me to, with someone I was really comfortable with, be able to practice those techniques and like you said, get that honest feedback. Yeah. Yeah, And I think both of those points are are good things to consider. One of the ways that I kind of determined what targets to practice with people um, was number one, it should be something that I already know, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm going to do this with a family member or a friend, I don't want them hunting for a new target, a thing that they have not already felt comfortable sharing specifically for the purpose of doing EMDR. I think that kind of crosses a line to ask people to do that for us. Um, unless it's something that I did have one situation where somebody had a phobia that they really, really wanted to overcome and when I said, you know, EMDR can help with phobias, well, I didn't know they had this phobia, but it wasn't um, a phobia that was really private or personal or embarrassing to them. It was just bothersome to mm-hmm. them. It was uh, actually a fear of flying, right? And so by no means did they feel any shame about having that phobia, um, but it was important enough to them that they shared it even though that hadn't been previously shared. So I felt comfortable doing that one. Um, and I think that 
choosing which targets and, and letting people know we don't want them to divulge things that are really heavy duty in that setting. We want to pick things that are, you know, on that zero to 10 distress scale, three, four, max five, mm-hmm. and keep it really, really manageable. Um, because if the point is to practice the basic protocol, we don't need those heavy duty targets. Right. In fact, it can actually get messy and backfire on us really quickly and, and make us um, scared to do it if we pick things that we're not ready for. Yeah, I think it's important too to remember the basis of EMDR is that the brain can heal itself. Mm-hmm. And so we are providing kind of an avenue to do that and supporting them along that journey. But if there's anything that comes up to them um, that they notice that they don't want to speak out loud, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. And so really reminding just our clients in general of that, but it, then anyone you're practicing with, hey, this is something that you can just say, I don't want to say, or mm-hmm. give me the smallest little summary or just a word or two um, that I can kind of know where to go from. But you don't have to really talk about anything in detail right. that comes to mind. That's true. That's true. Um, and the point you made about practicing resourcing with people, particularly calm, safe place and container. And I think calm, safe with the bilateral, we're still getting the experience of explaining EMDR, explaining these resources, Mm -hmm. um, getting comfortable with whatever method of bilateral we're going to be using. And it's a really great time to practice different styles of bilateral to see which one we like. Are are we going to want to invest in one of the machines? Um, how does my shoulder do when I'm doing this for long periods? You probably figured that out in training. <laughs> right. Um, but really kind of refining that and uh, figuring out what's going to be the best fit for you and um, learning how to help people pick the one that fits best for them. The majority of us, when we were in training, we worked with one, maybe two people. Um, so our, our training experience was very focused on that one person's version and style of receiving EMDR. And so exposing ourselves to lots of different people receiving it, um, I think, is really educational and important as well. Yeah. And in training, we're working with a fellow therapist mm-hmm. who's overall, you know, pretty insightful, mm-hmm. understands about the emotions. process. Yeah. Yes. They know mm-hmm. what they're supposed to be giving you because they've also taken the training. It's true. So not that it's not a, an authentic experience, but it's an authentic experience with someone who has a lot of information, mm-hmm. is insightful, most of the time pretty self-aware. Mm-hmm. You know, we're getting a different population and we do get those clients, but not always. In mm-hmm. fact, not, not usually. <laughs> Unless you have a private practice that caters to those in helping professions. And then, God bless you, and how do I get your job? Yes. (laughs) So it can look very different when you're trying it with someone who's not in that same place. Uh uh That's true. Um, So another thing that I know gets talked about in training all the time, but we would be remiss if we didn't say it again. Overcoming nerves has a lot to do with staying devoted to your script of really relieving yourself from all pressure or expectation to have that thing memorized. Um, I came out of training saying, you know, I'm going to memorize this. I don't want to be beholden to a piece of paper. And I learned really fast that the truth was if I tried to be focused on memorizing, then my brain capacity was focused on that Mm -hmm. and not on really paying attention to what was happening with my client. Um, And so I still, all these years later, now the truth is I do have it memorized now because I've been doing it this long, but the script is actually still right there. 
I, it's always right next to my chair because there are days where my brain is not cooperating and I don't want the anxiety of, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to say right now? So it's still there. And I feel a lot of devotion to that. Um, and I think all of us need to remember that we've got nothing to prove as far as memorizing goes. Absolutely. And I think sometimes our clients go to, you know, a place that we're completely unexpected and we're so mm-hmm. attuned with them that, yeah, our brain isn't connected with the script in that mm-hmm. moment or that our memorization. And so to have it on paper where you can fall back on it anytime you need, um, it's just wise. Mm-hmm. And you feel conf- a little more confident having that yes. right by your side. Yeah. It's, you know, down the road, it's just a wonderful safety net. At the beginning, it's essential. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the way that we internalize that basic protocol and make it part of our therapist's DNA um, is to be reading that thing over and over again. Um, so stay devoted to that. Make sure that it's really accessible, um, you know, wherever and how you're working. Um, the other thing that I hear from new people a lot is a struggle with getting organized, mm-hmm. right? We walk out of training with a manual, which is very organized and structured and helpful in terms of learning and in terms of organizing the information in that setting. But then we translate that into therapy office and it doesn't always work so well. Um, So a lot of people have to kind of spend some time figuring out like, what am I going to do with all this paper? Do I make (laughs) copies of everything? Do I go entirely digital? Like, what do I do here? So I want to kind of acknowledge that and talk a little bit about uh, what we've done and what we've experimented with um, and what eventually uh, we found to work for us. So Jen, how have you done that? Well, coming out of the training and my type A personality, I spent a a good, you know, 40 hours in front of a computer Mm -hmm. retyping every form that they had, creating my own forms, Mm -hmm. these nice little packets that I printed off for every new client that had every script, every form I could need, um, really just overdid it, which was helpful for me, though. It helped me to really understand it. It was probably a a necessary learning experience. Did I need all of that? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. I think there's a middle ground in there. Um, If you're not a type A personality, you're probably coming out thinking, well, just go with the flow. Mm -hmm. I'll just use my manual. Exactly. (laughs) And then you get into a session, you're thinking, oh, shoot, where's that for my knee? Right. We're flipping pages right. and the client's kind of looking at you like, what are we doing mm-hmm. here? So mm-hmm. I think there's a middle ground and what it's what works for you as a therapist. Right. But um, it's okay to, you know, summarize those forms and recreate whatever your trainer has put together to put it in an order that you need it, mm-hmm. but to stay true to what the script is, right. um, the assessment and right. the order in which it goes in. We're not changing any of the wording. Right. We're not adding our own little twist on things. We're just putting it together in a way that makes sense to our flow. Yeah. Yes, in an mm-hmm. order that works, especially if you're integrating things into an, an already established practice or agency, mm-hmm. which we talked about on an earlier episode, um, how to do that. But that's where it gets a little tricky. A lot of times in the trainings, it's coming from the perspective of private practice. And, you know, here's how you document and this is what you do when you have the freedom to do it in any order. Mm -hmm. But if you're working with an agency who expects things done in a certain way, you might have to kind of reorder those forms that fit into what you already have to do as part of your requirements of a program. Yeah. Yeah. And that was uh, kind of my biggest challenge coming out of it was um, for a long time, I ended up basically doing double work because I had the requirement of the agency note that I would do. Um, but then I also wanted to be recording things for the EMDR process and making sure that I always kind of know the next thing that we're working on. 
Um, and so that was pretty overwhelming for a while. Eventually, I figured out how to really pare down the amount of information that I was recording so that I was killing fewer trees, which is always a good goal in life. Um, <laughs> because there was a lot of paper wasted. Yes, me too. Um, okay, so this is just another question. I'm always curious about this. Do you write down everything that clients say when they're processing? I do not. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some therapists that do. Yep. I don't. Yeah. I write down things that are really those aha moments for mm-hmm. them, really strong adaptive thoughts that come up mm-hmm. um, that I maybe want to create into a resource later or strengthen or pull back up as a cognitive interweave at a time that they might need it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't write everything down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? I did. I okay. do not anymore. <laughs> so to clarify, if you're doing eye movements, uh, particularly if uh, manually with your hand, you can't. You don't have the time to do it. Yeah. So at the beginning when I was doing that and didn't have a machine, I was not writing everything down. But then I got the machine and suddenly I have all of this time mm-hmm. <laughs> when the machine is on and I'm just sitting there going, what do I do? Yeah. So I started writing everything down. Um, and what I found was that is completely unnecessary because I never refer back to that again. In fact, we're not supposed to refer back to that, yeah. right? We never want to take a client back to where they've already processed through. Um, the one thing I will say is at the beginning, I think it made me very reflective and really think about the person's process, um, which was helpful to me. So now what I do a lot of is more like what you do, of writing down kind of those highlight moments. And if there's somebody that I feel kind of stumped on, like I'm not getting the hang of what kind of interweaves work for them, I'll write more because mm-hmm. I'm trying to look for patterns and things. Um, anyway, that's kind of a sidebar conversation. But I'm always curious, who who writes everything down and who doesn't? Um, because I, I know that we all kind of do that a little bit differently as well. Um, but yeah, so when you're thinking about how to get organized the the basics that you want to consider is making sure that the things that you refer to the most are super accessible. And then at least having a way of reasonably quickly finding the things that you may need to refer to. You're probably not going to refer to it every session, but you may want it at some point. Um, things like the future template script. I don't use that every time, but I use it frequently enough that I want to know where it is. So whether that's putting tabs in your manual so that you can flip there really easily or creating a packet like you did, um, Really making sure that you kind of think that through and then test run it without fully committing. So if you try the I'm going to make a packet for every client, maybe only make like five copies instead of 50, um, just to make sure that that's really what you want to do going forward. A few things that I've heard other therapists talk about doing and a couple of these I've done myself, but of all of the scripts that you need, printing and laminating them if you want to, or just mm-hmm. having one printed copy that's accessible, one that you don't write on, that you know you just read through with every client, um, or the clients that you need it for. It's so like a future template. You have that printed and laminated when you need to pull that mm-hmm. out. And then when it comes to the, sh- the forms that you actually write on, like the assessment process or notes for reprocessing, having like a stack of those or a file of those that you can pull out. Okay, we're going to do a new target. Here's my sheet for that. And I could fill that out and save it in their chart. I have one therapist who talked about putting it in like a plastic sleeve. And Mm -hmm. then she with a dry erase marker writes on that and takes a photo of it. 
for the client's file. Mm -hmm. Um, She keeps hers, you know, all electronic. Mm -hmm. So then it's, you know, electronic at that point when she takes the photo and scans it into her system. Mm -hmm. So that's something. And then she can wipe that off and start over for the Mm -hmm. next client and Mm -hmm. is only using that one sheet. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some different options like that. Now that Melissa and I have both moved to electronic Mm -hmm. note-taking in session with our fancy little iPads and pencils, uh, which is life-changing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, everything is just right there, and I can make a copy of the assessment sheet, pull it up into their file, write directly on that mm-hmm. after you know I've scanned it in there. So that's really handy, too, if you're someone who's considering that. I would say it's been huge in my Agreed. practice to change over to that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It is an investment initially, but it in the long run, I think it saves a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so... What other little maybe tips or tricks do you have, Jen, that were kind of inspirational to you at the beginning, stories that you held on to, experiences that were really helpful to you that kind of kept you moving forward um, in that, you know, transition period of, I don't know what I'm doing to, I got this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely any of those experiences where a client of mine got relief. Mm -hmm. So for me, holding on to those moments when a client would say like, oh my gosh, like, I've never, like, I just have this huge weight lifted off of my shoulders. And I'm like, those aha moments when you actually get to see the transformation happening. And those were enough that, because there was a lot of sessions at the beginning where I would get stuck or Mm -hmm. the client was stuck or it was like, we're not making progress. And I didn't, at that time, have enough of the resources and tools um, to know exactly what was going on. Mm -hmm. I personally don't believe that, oh, there's just some clients that EMDR doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of something that we're not seeing that's not working or something we have to work through um, or some kind of block we have as a therapist. But there was a lot of those sessions when I first started that I was like, yeah, this just doesn't work for them. Right. This right. just isn't the right fit. Mm-hmm. And so um, at that time, I had to hold on to the sessions that did work so that it would keep me going and almost... I did not do this at the time, but creating that as like a positive resource for myself Mm -hmm. to combat any of the negative beliefs that I had, Mm -hmm. my own negative cognitions that I had going into sessions that maybe prevented me from wanting to try it or feeling too nervous to suggest it or getting to a point where a client was stuck and I just thought like, oh, let's throw in the towel and switch back over to what I know because um, I'm too afraid of what I'm doing now. Like it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and so holding on to those is those positive resources that say this does work. I am good enough at this. Mm-hmm. I'm capable. I'm equipped. And so using those as those encouraging moments to keep me going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I referenced a lot of when, a, when a new therapist got trained in our agency and I let her practice on me. Mm-hmm. And that experience of having my own EMDR before I even had any idea of what was going on, and I was just purely in a receiving mode, um, the experience that I had was super profound. And looking back on that session, I would say, oh, well, that was an incomplete EMDR session. We didn't even get to a zero, Mm. right? But for me, as the client in that situation, that was like the best thing ever. And, And I think that really let me know you know, we have these goals and we have these aims that we're trying to achieve in the midst of this. 
But even in the imperfect, in scare quotes, EMDR sessions, we're still doing really good therapy, mm-hmm. right? Really amazing and profound things are happening. Um, and so I might have said this before, but just in response to that kind of recognition for me, I wrote on a post-it note, trust the process. And I stuck it um, in a place that the client couldn't see, but I could see right next to the chair where I always did therapy. And that probably stayed there for the first year. Yeah. And there were lots of sessions where I would be, you know, I'd turn on the machine and be thinking, I don't know what to do here. Like, I don't understand what's happening. I'm totally in the weeds with this person. Am I supposed to go back to Target? Do I just need to stop? Like, what's going on? And I would see that note and just remind myself, Melissa, just do one more set and see what happens. Just do one more set and see what happens. And invariably, if I would just calm myself for a minute mm-hmm. um, and and let their brain do the work, right, and really trust that their brain wants to heal and is trying to heal, things would shift. And I learned so much by watching what brains do naturally when we give it the space to do it. Um, Because I think that's a big transition for a lot of us is it's not me doing the work, right? I'm not, it's not my intervention that matters here. Um, And that's a big change. And I think that's where our negative beliefs start to stand in the way as therapists because we have them. We're mm-hmm. humans. We have our mm-hmm. own anxiety about doing it. Um, and we can be the biggest block for the client sometimes. So I want you to talk a little bit more about that because I, I think that's a really interesting idea that, that we as the therapists can be blocked mm-hmm. in that way and really kind of accidentally standing in the way of progress. Yeah. So I've seen it with myself for one and then time and time again as as a consultant reviewing videos. Mm -hmm. So when um, my consultees have to do an audio or video recording and they'll submit it and there's always so much anxiety for them about reviewing that with me. And they'll say like, oh, this was just a really tough session. Like I'm still submitting it because it's the one I've got, but it didn't go well. And I just don't know that this client is a good fit. Mm. So we'll review it. And uh, as we're listening, I'll hear them get, you know, maybe one, two, three sets in and then they're checking the set. Um, right. One, two, three sets in, and then they're back to target. Mm-hmm. And then we're kind of, you know, the client, or maybe just have said like one or two kind of adaptive things and they're headed in the right direction, mm-hmm. or the client starts showing affect and they're mm, crying and starting to get it, yep. you know, uncomfortable in it. And so then the therapist does, you know, interjects with this big interweave of almost trying to soothe the client mm-hmm. in that place and pull them back out. But then the progress, the reprocessing didn't happen. The the client experienced some state change in that moment. They're Mm -hmm. back to being calm, but we didn't get into really reprocessing the material. And so we short circuited the process. Yeah. Yeah. And I, as I'm, you know, reviewing these with, with the therapist, I'm looking at, okay, what is it that the therapist is believing about themselves? Negative belief that's standing them in the way of this client's progress because it's what they're doing to pull them back out of their reprocessing. Mm -hmm. So Maybe it's the client's crying um, and the therapist is, I'm out of control. Mm. You know, I don't have control in this moment or I'm bad because I'm making them upset. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I say, just go with that, I'm making them Mm -hmm. so upset. So I'm bad. Mm -hmm. Or the client is stuck a little bit instead of just continuing. They pull, you know, check the side of like, okay, where is this at now? And so maybe that's the negative belief of like, I'm not good enough to, Mm. to handle this or I don't know the process enough. 
So I think there can be all different types of negative cognitions of our own that if they're unaddressed, um, they can stand in the way of that process. And it can be triggering for us as therapists Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when we see our clients have these experiences. So so true. It's just something to really be mindful of. It reminds me, I think the, you know, looking back now, one of the biggest changes for me when I went through certification Um, I had been doing it for about a year at that point. So I'd had, you know, quite a bit of experience, but was still relatively new. And I think the, the thing that stuck with me the most going through certification was it changed my, well, it changed my cognitions, but really changed my relationship with client pain. Yeah. And the, the importance of letting people really feel it, stay in it, experience it. And, not give into that urge to rescue, mm-hmm. um, which if we're a therapist, we have that negative cognition in there somewhere, that need to to rescue. Mm-hmm. It's my responsibility to do something about this pain. And the person that I did certification with, I remember one time she said to me, Melissa, sometimes we just have to push our clients over the pain cliff. <laughs> now, that sounds it, it sounds, it was awful. And I left that consultation session so mad. I was mm. like deeply offended. And all of my everything was challenged in that moment. And I'm still not sure that I 100% agree with that in every situation. But I hear the point and yeah. I And I think I kind of changed my perception of when someone is in a lot of pain, what is our job? Mm-hmm. What's our role? And going back to that idea of we're monitoring that they're staying within the window of tolerance. But as long as they're in the window, we need to leave them there, mm-hmm. right? We, um, I think at least my urge was to yank them out of that window of tolerance and down to neutral or right. down to comfortable um, because that feels good down there. And it feels like I'm doing my job. Um, so for me, I think that was, you know, I hear what you're saying about we all have these personal blocks that we have to work through. Um, and one of the ways that I think that we can do that is receiving EMDR for ourselves. Absolutely, It's a big one. Um, I see a, a marked difference for therapists that have gone through, you know, some rounds of EMDR on their own struggles. And things like, I know it's okay to leave them within that um pain experience because there's light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. they're going to get to that point and i don't want to take that opportunity from them and i know that because i've been in that moment and i felt all that pain and then gotten to the end where the relief is and that feels so wonderful to have true relief that stays rather than just momentarily being rescued out of it so if if it's a possibility strongly consider having at least some sessions of emdr and some really you know true things important things in your life so that you can experience that transformation and knowing that as we go, we might re- discover new things about ourselves mm-hmm. um, through as being a therapist. New things may trigger us. And so to be mindful and self-aware through that and then make note of, gosh, in this session, I felt like I was exceeding my window of tolerance. Hmm. I mm-hmm. wanted to immediately re-regulate and pull back and comfort them, not because they weren't okay, but because I wasn't okay. Mm-hmm. And so as we make note of that, then being able to address it with therapy and and get EMDR with that being our target. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And it makes us even better people, humans, therapists, everything. Yep. Yep. That's true. Hopefully, most of you will have the luxury of working with other EMDR therapists. And if that's the case, um, and I know that I definitely did this, I would 
organize a trade, <laughs> not on the big personal issues, right? We kept it appropriate, but particularly in regards to triggering that would happen at work or around yep, client issues absolutely. to do EMDR for each other. If you don't have the luxury of having somebody that you're working with, um, do tapping on yourself. Do do the butterfly hug. Hook yourself up to the machine um, and allow that to process through. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, one of the consultees or uh, consultants in my training, she would tap her feet in the mm-hmm. middle of a session and have that bilateral going while the bilateral for the client is going if she could feel herself getting triggered and kind of hooked by what was happening. Yeah, use your resources right there in session Mm -hmm. while they're getting their bilaterally. Maybe you need to go to your uncomfortable place Mm -hmm. where you need to pull up that resource you created of a client who really, where it went really well and they got all this relief. Um, and you were felt confident and competent in what you were doing and you might need to pull that up right there in session with your next client who's struggling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so true. So we would be remiss if we didn't mention, um, we won't go into a lot of detail because I think we're going to do a separate episode kind of all about this. But the the question of when is a client ready mm-hmm. for reprocessing, right? How do we know that we've done enough resourcing? Now, that was absolutely covered in basic training, but I hear from a lot of uh, people that are new a continued struggle with really feeling like they know how to gauge that. Um, so just as a starting point, the vast majority of trainings at this point would have included some kind of readiness checklist, mm-hmm. right? Some things to go through, some questions to ask yourself about the client to really help you determine, are they ready for it? So refer back to that. Um, but Jen, just for a minute, I want us to kind of talk about what are the the main things that we look for um, to judge that for our clients. Mm-hmm. I think knowing that they have tools that they can use to Mm -hmm. regulate themselves. Mm -hmm. So whether it's they just report, oh, yeah, these are the things I do. I go for a walk, I meditate, or I read, I listen to music. What are some internal things in addition to that that they have that they can regulate themselves with? So uncomfortable place, um, containment, breathing exercises. So knowing they have a, a strong toolbox that not just that they know of, but they actually use and work for them. Right. So that might mean spending some time exploring that, but that's an, a key, key piece. That's true. And then I think also knowing that the process is so fluid that it's not black and white, that it's not that we start this and we're in it and we're reprocessing no matter what, right. but a constantly assessing readiness. So maybe we start a target and you know, their symptoms really, really flare up or um, something happens at work and they get laid off or, mm-hmm. you know, life changes. Mm-hmm. We they can get step pregnant. back. They get yeah. pregnant. Yeah. I've had lots of EMDR stopped by pregnancy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then we can step back mm-hmm. and reevaluate. Is this the right timing? Mm-hmm. Um, is this the right target for mm-hmm. this timing? Do we need to go back and do some more resourcing and prepare them more? Mm-hmm. And so it can be this fluid process. It's not an all or a nothing um, and so just feeling secure in that as a therapist that we can re-regulate and go back to anything as needed. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a phrase that I always, and I say it out loud to clients because, you know, they also have anxiety about starting the mm-hmm. process, um, particularly as EMDR is more known, right? Because when we first started, it was rare that I had a client that had ever heard of EMDR. Now, even just a few years later, people know about it. 
you know, we get referrals specifically for EMDR. Mm-hmm. It's on mainstream television. There's just a brand new show that came out on Netflix where the, one of the main characters is an EMDR therapist. Oh, really? Yes. I hadn't heard of that. Um, yeah, it's called Russian Doll. I don't know if I can recommend it because I haven't watched it yet, but I had a client bring it up and they were like, oh my gosh, you'll never believe what I saw, right? I so, yeah, more and more people know what this is. There's, um, <laughs> just by, by way of educating yourself, join one of the, um, EMDR client Facebook groups. It is very interesting to be a fly on the wall in those Facebook groups because they say things there that they would not say to their therapist. And, you know, just personally, I don't comment on those things, obviously, because I'm not their therapist and I don't want to interfere in that process. Um, But I, I do find it very interesting to kind of observe what's the aftermath reaction that they may or may not ever tell us. Um, and there's a lot of anxiety for them, particularly if they know about it, because a lot of people have heard stories now about um, how challenging it was, or if there's been a bad experience, they may have heard about that. So they have their own anxieties coming into it. And so I, with frequency, have a conversation with them. We're not going to start this until both you and I feel ready. And the way that we're going to know that we feel ready is this question. If this goes bad, can we handle it together? Right? Like if the worst should happen and this just like you get flooded um, or, you know, this devolves into a different memory that you really weren't ready for and it kind of surprises you. If the worst should happen, do we feel like with the skills and the tools and the relationship that we currently have, could we handle it? Could we take care of you? And if the answer is no, we've still got prep to do. If the answer is yes, let's go. Because we can never guarantee that things are going to go perfectly smoothly. But if we can answer yes to that question, that we could handle it no matter what, we can proceed. So that question has been really reassuring to me. um, Because sometimes we fall in that trap of waiting, 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 doing more and more prep, more and more resourcing, because we're nervous to start. Yeah, I really like that. And I think... It really just sets the tone of we are in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, between the two than, of us, we can do yeah, this. You're yep. going through it, and I'm in this nice, comfy, safe chair, mm-hmm. just kind of in la la land while you mm-hmm. close your eyes and face this. But it's, can we do this together? And I'm here with you yeah. as you go through that. I think yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually, you know, I've had several situations where the client will reflect that back to me. Like, I'm nervous, but I know we can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I know we can do it together. And usually by then, we've handled a few tough things together, mm-hmm. right? And I'll reference back to that. Hey, remember that time where this happened and, you know, there was a big reaction, but we made it through. And here's how we did that. And we do the same thing. Um, and that is a kind of resourcing for the client, which is another really great way to prepare a client, is to build a resource specifically for the fear of attempting to do yeah. EMDR on our trauma. Um So, Jen, you were talking about something earlier that I want you to talk more about, which is when you're a brand new therapist actually using EMDR to create a resource for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you talk about that? Because I think that's really, really good. So something I do with my clients and even myself all the time is I'm always looking for resources. Mm -hmm. Always. It's just a constant run in the back of my mind if there's a really strong adaptive thought they have or that I have or this nice adaptive experience or a memory that was um, positive that they had that they hadn't thought of in a while, anything that we could potentially build as a resource. 
and it's pretty simple. I mean, you can take anything and then you just go through that regular process of what's an image that represents that for you? Mm-hmm. What positive belief do you hold about yourself as you think of that? Mm-hmm. As you notice those, what emotions come up? Where do you feel it in your body? Sometimes we even go into this the five senses, mm-hmm. um, what smell that would connect mm-hmm. you with that, and having them identify all of those senses and just enhancing it. So then if they're comfortable closing their eyes, pulling that up, using bilateral slow short sets, um, and just letting them really strengthen and install that. Mm. So what we're doing is we're developing this adaptive network um, to kind of combat all of the maladaptive experiences and beliefs that they hold. And I do that a lot of times between reprocessing sessions. Mm -hmm. So as we know, okay, we have this target coming up. What are we going to need? And I'm in the back of my mind, I'm asking myself, what are we going to need to be able to access and um, adaptive thoughts, adaptive experiences to integrate that into so that the reprocessing can be a smoother experience. So we're always looking for those. So I will do that for myself, even if I've got a great session or Mm. um, maybe even something completely unrelated to therapy, but where I felt like really strong and competent, resourceful. And then I will, okay, how do I create this as a resource for me to pull on Mm -hmm. when I'm in a session and struggling or in something else in my life and feeling insecure about myself Mm -hmm. and then I can pull that back up and feel that in that moment right so a new therapist that's getting ready to start EMDR with a challenging client or start reprocessing with a challenging client could install a successful session for themselves and kind of use that to reference back and support them as they begin that hard thing and it may be what they got in training or maybe they haven't had a successful session yet so it's Mm -hmm. something before that like Mm -hmm. when's a time in your life when you felt competent, um, capable, whatever it is that they need in that moment to go into their session. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Talk about buy-in, right? Mm -hmm. When we start to actually utilize the things that we're we're doing for clients. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, guys. So I think that's about it for today. There's a lot more, you know, to say about this topic because this is a really, um, I don't know, it's a hurdle for all of us that we have to move through that initial anxiety um, but be encouraged. Number one, we all feel that way at the beginning and we all move through it. The only mistake that we make is by not doing MDR, is by letting that anxiety get the better of us. And we set down this tool rather than believe that we are capable of learning how to use it well. Um, and it is a powerful tool. So we want to be mindful and careful about how we use it. Um, but having it and not using it, I think, is uh, a sad thing. And, yeah. and a lot of therapists end up in that situation where it feels too scary to try, so they just don't. Um, and if you find yourself in that position, just remember, there's consultation always available. Um, and that is a huge support for all of us. I think that all of us need ongoing consultation. We all occasionally hit those spots where we need it, but especially at the beginning, uh, consider kind of giving yourself that gift of extra support. Yeah, and please, you guys, email us, leave comments, message on our Facebook um, group your experiences with this. Mm-hmm. Um, what your, what worked for you, what yeah. helped, yeah. We would love your feedback on this because mm-hmm. I think it, it relates to every single listener, every single EMDR therapist doing this. So yes, share with us, let us be a community for each other where we feel like we're not alone in that feeling and that struggle so we can share some of those experiences and stories on another episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us today. And we will be back next time with us. We're going to be talking about uh, choosing negative and positive cognitions. Um, A very interesting topic and a lot to say about that. So we hope that you've heard something today that will help you help your clients even more and uh, be supported as well as the therapist because we are our greatest tool. So we'll see you next time. Take care. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to notice that at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.